Well, good morning. Yeah, there's some awakeness out there. That's good. I was driving in this morning, and I saw a few snowflakes. And I was like, not again. But you all prevailed and made it, so I'm very glad. Uh, my name is Mark, one of the pastors here, for those of you that I have not met. Uh, and I want to start uh, my sermon this morning, uh, like all good sermons do, with, with a story about my wife. Uh, that's, it's really, it's Summer's story. I have her permission to share it, and I have high confidence that one of us has shared this story in the past at some point from up here. But uh, a while ago, Summer was coming back. She'd been over on the peninsula, and she was uh, coming back on the ferry. And as she did, came into downtown Seattle on the ferry, got off, and was walking to, um, to the car, uh, and passed a number of people who were standing on the intersection holding signs, asking for, asking for money. Uh, and, um, and had this sense of... As she was going past them, like, I, I need to give. I just, this is, my heart is telling me, like, I, I need to give to this, these people that are asking. So didn't have any cash on her because we rarely have cash on us these days. And uh, so she had to go to ATMs. She had to go out of her way, went to an ATM, clicked yes on the, you know, charge me $3 so that I can get $20. And came back and to the first guy that she had passed and, and went up to him, looked at him, looked him in the eye and said, here you go. And the guy said, sweet, thanks, I'm done early today. And she looked down, and his sign said, need money for beer. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> there's a, um, oh, my, my screen froze on me, hang on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a number of lessons one could take away from this story. <laughs> Uh, and, and while I would encourage everyone to be wise where you give your money, I want to submit that this story is actually a success story uh, because of the, the, the changes in the transformed heart that it exhibited in my wife and her, uh, her changed attitude towards uh, her time, what inconvenienced her, her changed attitude towards money, and her changed attitude towards uh, another human being made in the image of God. Um, we'll, we'll come back to that story here at the end, but... Uh, I love that story, and I love you. <laughs> we are going to look at a very familiar story. We're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan this morning. And as we have been working as council, as leadership team, to try to re-articulate what our vision is, what are, what are we called to be as a church, uh, you've heard us mention uh, probably a number of times now that we are called to be a, a people who are rooted in Christ, a church that is rooted in Christ for the flourishing of our neighbors, And the primary thing that I hope we can take away from this language of rooted and flourishing are these two images, these two stories and images that Jesus uses to describe this. So the first one we looked at, I think, in the the New Year, uh, the first Sunday of the New Year, which is from John 15, and it's when Jesus describes his relationship to his people as the vine and the branches, that we're to be rooted in Christ like a vine is to a branch, or like a branch is to a vine. Got to get that right. Uh, and then as we talk about the flourishing of our neighbor, as we are rooted in Christ, it is for the flourishing of our neighbor. And we believe that this parable, this story of, that Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan, is the, the best way to encapsulate what we mean by that, what we mean by living for the flourishing of our neighbors. So as we talk about being rooted in Christ for the flourishing of our neighbors, really what I'm much more uh, excited about is letting these passages just soak into us so that our imagination 
is filled with this image of, of, of branches and vines being connected and uh, the story that Jesus tells to a lawyer, to an expert in the law, about this Samaritan. So, let your imaginations roam as we hear God's word this morning. This is from Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Well, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which was about two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus, be our teacher this morning as you were the teacher to this expert in the law so many years ago. Fill us with your spirit that as we hear your word, it would take root in our hearts and that it would produce fruit in our lives, that we would be empowered by your Spirit to go and do likewise in the places where we live, in the places where we work, in the places where we study and play. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of your word. Amen. Amen. That was an amazing something over there. Everything okay? <laughs> Good. There's, with all these new babies, there's some strange noises that happen during the sermons. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. So this is a story within a story, right? The, the story that's actually happening here is Jesus engaging with this, this expert in the law, or a lawyer, um, who asks a pretty big question at the beginning of this. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, and Jesus, ever the brilliant teacher, just turns it around and is like, well, what do you think? How do you read the scriptures? And the expert is indeed an expert. And he, he quotes from two different passages here in the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy 6 and from Leviticus 19. Uh, from Deuteronomy, this love the Lord your God is part of the Shema. Maybe you've heard that word before. The Shema, Shema is Hebrew for hero Israel. It's that famous passage. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Then he quotes from, uh, from Leviticus. Uh, in the section in Leviticus he's quoting from is a whole list of relational laws. Like, how do we actually get along? How do we live together uh, in a society as, as God's people? How do we relate to each other? And it's summarized in this beautiful passage, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. So he pulls from these two different passages to summarize. There, there's another passage uh, in Matthew that's very similar to this one, um, where Jesus is actually the one who answers this way. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Like, these sum up everything that our scriptures have to teach. Love God, love neighbor. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's right. Good job. Um, and the interaction might have ended there, right? I mean, the guy answered correctly. Jesus commends him. This doesn't happen very much in Scripture. <laughs> Jesus is like, good job, you answered right. But he wants to dive down into the particulars. He's a lawyer, right? Let's get specific here. Who exactly, legally speaking, would you say is my neighbor? Uh, and Jesus, ever the brilliant teacher, says, everyone, everyone is your neighbor, the end. No, he doesn't say that, right? He means that. That's the intent. But he tells a story. He invites this, uh, this expert in the law to engage his imagination, to engage his heart with this story. Um, and the story would have started very familiar. This was a well-known road, the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's about 18 miles, but it was very treacherous, very steep, very rocky, and known to be a place where robbers and muggers and thieves would hang out and do what they do in the story, which is to beat someone, rob them, steal their stuff, and take off. So then come the heroes, right? The priest and the Levite, God's people. God's people. These are, these are who you would expect to know what to do in this situation. But we know the story, right? It's not just that they ignore the guy. Like, they see him. They know he's there. And they intentionally go to the other side of the road to pass him by. Now, there's, uh, there's several moments of irony in the story. And this is one of them. Samaria, I wish I had a map here. I didn't think to put it up. But Samaria is located uh, in between Jerusalem, which is down here, Judea, uh, and then up here is Galilee. So we, there's a number of uh, people traveled between those two areas. Jews traveled between those two areas regularly. But Samaria happened to be full of Samaritans, surprise, uh, who were not thought highly of by the Jews. They were sort of half-breeds, and it was just they, to be called a Samaritan was... Uh, not a compliment. So Jews would regularly go way out of their way, way out of their way to walk around Samaria to get to where they were going. And so here we have in this story a little bit of an allusion to that, the way that the, the priest and the Levite went way out of their way to go on the far side of the road to not even come close to this poor man. And then Jesus introduces the Samaritan, who with a great twist of irony the one who would be despised normally by Jews, is the hero, is the example. And better lives into the Jew's own understanding of what it is to, to love your neighbor as yourself than any of the, the Jews, any of the right people do. Um, I, I was reflecting on this. The, the last three sermons that I've preached out of Luke's gospel have all had at their heart an outsider who becomes for us an example of what faith looks like. Uh, a few weeks ago, I preached about the, um, the centurion who, whose uh, slave was sick and who demonstrates faith. This is someone who's an occupying force in Israel, not loved 
by the Jewish people, a Roman centurion, and he demonstrates faith in Jesus uh, by understanding how Jesus' authority works. He becomes this example for faith. Then there's this woman with a notorious reputation, right? She, maybe she's a prostitute, maybe she just has a reputation, but regardless, she comes in to this dinner and she lavishes her worship and her adoration on Jesus, who she knows can forgive her sins. And she becomes an example for the disciples of worship, of understanding who has authority even to forgive sins, that that's Jesus. And now it's a Samaritan. So I just have, I found myself wondering, like, what is, what is Luke trying to do here by highlighting these stories, right? There's lots of stories that Luke left out of the Gospels, right? He, he, was, he was particular in choosing which stories to include to tell the story of Jesus. And he includes a lot of these stories where it's these unexpected uh, outsiders, these people who would not be looked on highly, who are for us, Examples of faith, examples of discipleship. I just wonder if God's not trying to teach us, or at least me, uh, that perhaps there are places where God is at work that I am blind to. Places where I wouldn't expect God to be at work, where I wouldn't expect to discover God, uh, where he is actually at work. That's not really the main point. That was just something I've been thinking about. That was for free. This story is very familiar to us, right? Uh, this, is, this is one of the more common, known, uh, well-known stories of Scripture. Uh, there's the golden rule, right? Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's a summary of this second greatest commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves. So why hasn't it taken root in us? Why... Why are we not there yet? And I believe that it's because we have actually not taken seriously the first commandment to love God with our heart, soul, mind, strength. Uh, And that because that's not something we've taken seriously, we easily start to get technical about the second commandment. And we start to ask, well, technically, legally, who do I have to love? And who, who can I leave out of my love? Where are the boundaries, right? We want to know where the boundaries are. It is funny that the the expert in the law kind of glosses over that first commandment as if he's nailed it, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, got it. About the second one, right? Now, Luke adds this fascinating bit of commentary here, which is, uh, the more I've read this passage, the more like this, for me, is the linchpin here. Luke says that the man responded after Jesus commended his answer that he was seeking to justify himself. And that's what leads him to ask this question, who is my neighbor? He was seeking to justify himself. How does Luke know that? I don't know. It seems like a bit of a stretch to sort of see into the man's motives, unless maybe Luke sees something of his own tendency in this man's question recognizes something of himself in this expert of the law that seeks to put some boundaries, right? Let's make this a little more realistic, Jesus. Uh, who, who really is my neighbor? And, and then the converse question, of course, is, is who's not my neighbor? What are the limits 
to my love of others? Can I do just enough so that I can get through, right? His initial question is, how do I inherit eternal life? What, what are the boxes I have to check so that I can get into heaven? How many people do I have to love? Five? Okay, five. I'll do that. So I can just clear the hurdle. Um, and Jesus is saying, That's, that is the wrong question. That is the wrong question to ask. Uh, this, um, this parable is so familiar uh, that it's actually been passed into law. Right? You've heard, have you heard of the Good Samaritan Law? These laws exist to encourage people to give aid when someone else needs it. Like when you see someone in trouble, um, the Good Samaritan Law, both it's meant to prod you into action, but also to protect you that if you accidentally do something wrong when you're intending to help someone, you'll be protected. Um, <laughs> this is how Seinfeld ends. Have you, you ever watched the, Seinfeld, this, um, this long TV series, right? How it ends is the four main characters, Jerry, Elaine, George, and Kramer, are on the side of this road, and this rather large man is getting carjacked. This guy comes up, and he's... And, and Kramer's filming it, and the other three are just making fat jokes at this guy's expense um, and just kind of, you know, making, making funny commentary while this guy gets, gets robbed. And a, a cop shows up and, and arrests them because they have violated this Good Samaritan law. And uh, the irony of the ending of the show is that it's the show about nothing, and so they eventually get put in jail for doing nothing, <laughs> right? When the law was intended to spur them to action. Anyways, like that's, that's how universally understood this, this principle is of doing for others what you would have them do for you, loving your neighbor as yourself. And yet, it still is so hard to do. There is this connection between these two commands that essentially, to, to love God and love neighbor, um, that really this is one thing. That's what we're talking about here. And there's a, a wonderful quote that I, I want to share with you from Daryl Bach. He wrote a commentary that I've been, we've been using to study Luke uh, that I want to put up here that helps us connect these two. And I think as we talk about the, the, the vision of uh, sanctuary being to be rooted in Christ for the flourishing of our neighbors, those are not two separate things. That is a singular thing that we are pursuing as a church. He says this. He says, ethics is not an abstract question of options in a particular situation. It's a matter of character developed through a walk with God and a focus on Jesus. Ethics is not this abstract question of, in any given situation, what ought we to do? It's this matter of Developing the kind of character that has been formed and shaped into the image of Jesus. And I would add, empowered by the Holy Spirit, just to make it fully Trinitarian. There we go. So loving God and loving neighbor are not two separate things. They are one thing. As we are deepening our connection to Christ, uh, our love for God with mind, soul, body, strength, heart, oh goodness, heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, that our character is becoming such that when we see a neighbor in need, we are more and more naturally inclined to help them. There's another translation of this verse about the Samaritan when he comes across the injured man that says this, he looked at him and he was moved to the depths of his being with pity. Moved to the depths of his being with pity. 
That's the turning point, right? That's what sets the Samaritan apart from the priest and the Levite, that he saw him. They all saw him, right? Nobody was ignorant of what was going on here. Everybody saw him. But the Samaritan was moved to the depths of his being with pity. He had a transformed heart. Saw this person as someone made in the image of God. Saw his resources, not as his, but as God's. Saw his time, not as his, but as God's. He had a transformed heart to see that everything is God's, and if everything is God's, then clearly I can step in here and help. So the parable is powerful. It's it's part of our cultural vernacular, this notion of the Good Samaritan. But I find myself far more intrigued with the interaction between Jesus and the lawyer, especially around his, his tendency towards wanting to justify himself, wanting to ask for Jesus' blessing on a life that he decisions he'd already made, a lifestyle that he'd already adopted. And I have to ask myself that question. Where am I seeking to, to justify the life that I'm already living, where I'm just looking for Jesus' blessing on the decisions I've already made, rather than opening myself up to him and saying, what would you have me do? How, how would you have me engage with my neighbors? What still needs to be surrendered? I think what would have been beautiful would have been to hear the lawyer say something like, Lord, I love. Help my unloving. In the same way that that one man says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That, to me, uh, would have been indication of of, uh, the possibility of a transformed heart, right? A desire and confession that I'm not yet there, but I long to be there. We're going to have a chance to confess later, so hold on to that if that's where you're going. So, all right, how do we develop this, though? Um, I, I think of Summer's, of Summer's story, um, engaging with this, uh, with this man who, and, and feeling compelled to give, uh, you know, even though the end result might not have been ideal. Uh, and I think part of the victory there for her was that she was practicing loving her neighbor as herself, right? Uh, There's a way in which whether or not we feel the emotions of love, uh, we can act as if we love someone and act our way into those those feelings. Uh, The green bean has been for us, I think, a place of practice, a place to practice loving our neighbors as ourselves. And one of the challenges for us, stepping into the season where we no longer have this physical space in the neighborhood, where we encounter our neighbors, is to take what we have practiced there and to keep practicing it, to keep putting it into action in the world. So if you're at a different coffee shop than the Green Bean, how might you love the people that are there? How might you engage them in the same way that you might have in the Green Bean? At your work, wherever it is that you are, we've, we've put in some practice loving our neighbors. Keep practicing. Uh, I've been reading some C.S. Lewis uh, this last week, uh, and in Mere Christianity, he, he talks about love of neighbor. And he has just, I, I, re- I had to cut the number of quotes that I had from Lewis. So there's two here. He says this, The rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor, 
act as if you did. And as soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Isn't that good? And then just a little bit later on, talking about the, the incremental small ways in which we can do this. Good and evil both increase at compound interest. That's why the little decisions that you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later, you may be able to go on to victories you've never dreamed of. That's inspiring to me. Jesus is not concerned with you checking boxes, with you meeting minimum requirements for salvation. That is not the kind of abundant life he has called us to. Instead, what he's interested in is heart transplants. That's the work that he's in. That's the business that he's in. So the two questions that I've been pondering that I invite you to ponder and wrestle with as well. One, um, how might I act as if I loved my neighbors? As if I loved those who were around me. And in this day and age where the world seems to be smaller, those who are not around me. The second one starts to dig a little bit into the way that we live life. And that's, what, what am I seeking to justify in my life? Where am I like this lawyer, this expert in the law, who I've pretty much already decided the way that I am, right? This is, this is the, like, the great temptation of, oh, you be you, right? You do you. Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't really give us that option. <laughs> um, What am I seeking to justify? Where, where am I looking for Jesus to simply bless what I'm already doing so that I can feel okay with the decisions that I've made? And, and how might I, in recognizing that, ask for his help? Right? And I think the first step towards remedying our, uh, our propensity to be always seeking justification is confession, just acknowledging that before him and asking for his help. So we're going to do that. We're going to come to the table here, but we're going to spend some time in prayer beforehand. And maybe ask God in some silence here, Lord, where am I just seeking to justify decisions I've already made, ways of living that I've already decided this is just kind of how I'm going to do it? Uh, and what might it look like to open ourselves up to the transforming power of God, where Jesus says, no, it's not about who's your neighbor and who's not your neighbor. It's about loving God and letting God's love work through you in the world, being transformed by that love. So I'll leave it silent, and I'm going to lead us in a, a prayer together. Let's pray.